Well, if you're a regular listener to the show, and you're anything like me, actually, if you're anything like me, seek professional help immediately. But if you're anything like me, other than that, you know that dumb stuff is a fun thing to know. It's good to know little bits of trivia, I always say. And Dave and Hiskey is one of these guys who knows a whole bunch of that kind of stuff. He is the founder of a great website called todayifoundout.com. Dave, how are you? Good. How are you doing? It's really nice to talk to you. I, I'm not the only one, right? It's fun to know little bits and pieces about all kinds of things, isn't it? Oh, yeah. And have you always had that? Is that something that you've had since you were a young kid? Yeah, pretty much. I always like to read, you know, just on a variety of topics and, you know, so. And what is it about certain people's brains, Dave, and do you think that where you just kind of file it away, you go, here's something I may need to know, I may not need to know, but I'll just put it back in my brain and keep it there. What, what's going on with that, do you think? Oh, yeah, I don't know. It's just a fun way to, you know, procrastinate or whatever and just, you know, read interesting stuff and good conversation starters anyway. I think so. And how did you turn this, like once you realized, hey, it, it's fun to accumulate all this knowledge, how did you turn this into a website? What exactly was that process like? Well, I just said... Uh, I, I, that's like my favorite way to procrastinate um, was to do that. And I like to sort of productively procrastinate. So I figured I should make a website out of it. And, um, you know, so it actually does something for me. And prior to the website, when you would know these things and save them and sometimes share them with family and friends, what was the reaction from people around you? Were they happy to know this stuff or did they just go, oh, here, here's David again. He knows everything about everything. What was their reaction? Oh, no. It's, um, yeah, people, I think just most people like to learn interesting things uh, all the time. Um, yeah, it would have to be that way, right? That makes perfect sense. All right, so let's talk about some of the different uh, things that are on the website. How, first of all, how long has todayifoundout.com been in existence? Since 2010. Since 2010? Um, yeah, a couple of years. And and was your goal in this initially uh, to be uh, the biggest website there was? How, how, how did how, what was your goal when you first put this up? Just to share um, this just, information? Yeah, I just uh, graduated college, and like I said, I like to try to productively procrastinate. So while I was working on other websites and stuff for people. I designed websites um, at the time and did a few of my own. I would also um, look up random stuff. Like on uh, the original inspiration for the site was um, Reddit. Dot com if they got they have um, a subreddit called today I learned and I figured instead of just reading and stuff I should actually you know contribute and sort of make my own website and research my own stuff so uh, you know to make the procrastination basically basically work for me excellent all right so let's go to some of the fun facts that are there on today I found out.com now you're guaranteeing everything you're about to tell me is true you're not messing with me these are all a hundred percent factual right yeah, highly researched. That's the other thing is if you look around at a lot of web internet websites, like fact websites, an amazing amount of stuff on them. It's just not true at all, you know. But so yeah, we all we highly research everything on our sites to sort of so you can know what you're reading or listening to is um, correct. Wait, David, let me make sure I'm understanding this right. You're saying that there are things on the internet that are not 100% accurate. That's what you're saying. Yeah, most <laughs> fact websites actually. I can't. This is. I, I'm going to have to lay down for a minute. Hold on a second while I lay down. I'm shocked to hear this. All right, let's start out. Since Thanksgiving is coming very, very rapidly, uh, why exactly are turkeys called turkeys? Well, actually, it came from um, uh, in Europe in the 16th century, around the same time. Um, well, that's when the turkey, the American turkey, North American turkey, was introduced to Europe. But at the same time, another popular um, guinea fowl was um, came from Madagascar, and it came via the Ottoman Empire. Um, it's sort of, you know, routed through there. So um, in, in 
England particularly, they were called um, turkey fowls because, you know, from the Ottoman Empire. Mm-hmm. And so then when the uh, North American turkey was introduced, um, people just thought it was of the same species, so they called it turkey fowl as well. And then that just sort of morphed, and now we just call it a turkey. Can I ask you, David, would it have been possible for them in the early days of Thanksgiving to have found a more hideous-looking animal than a turkey? There must be some bird that's just uglier. Why didn't we find that one? Yeah. Um, yeah, that one. And, well, in the original Thanksgiving, they probably didn't even have turkey. But um, uh, one of the other topics uh, I was going to talk about today was um, on Sarah Hale, who um, introduced sort of – who she's the author of Mary Had a Little Lamb, um, mm. and uh, she introduced – or convinced Abraham Lincoln to make Thanksgiving a national holiday. At the time, it was just something in New England um, that was celebrated, and actually it was more of a fast, quite often fast, and, you know, prayer and give thanks and stuff like that. Um, And so she actually was sort of like the Oprah Winfrey of her day, and um, one of the things she introduced was a lot of the different things we eat. Like, that was her her recipes and her recommendations in her um, magazine that she was the editor of, and so turkey was one of the things that she recommended, as well as, like, pumpkin pie and mashed potatoes and uh, cranberry sauce and stuff like that. Was she the one that recommended that family members have silent arguments during Thanksgiving, or did that come about later on? <laughs> Probably of its own accord. <laughs> See, now, I was always told, now, I don't like turkey. I'm one of the only people in the world that will tell you it does nothing for me. I'm not a fan of turkey at all. But I was always told that the reason we're forced to eat it on Thanksgiving is because that's what they had at that first Thanksgiving dinner. But you're saying that's not the case at all, huh? It's probably not the case. I mean, no one really knows what they ate at the first Thanksgiving, and it wasn't actually even the first Thanksgiving. There was other Thanksgivings before. It was pretty common back then to just hold random Thanksgivings, you know, just any time you had something you wanted to give thanks for. So it would be like a, you know, and sometimes it was like a feast, and other times it was, you know, you just you'd just have like fasting and prayer and stuff like that. And I don't remember the specific details off the top of my head, but I know um, much earlier than the uh, – then the pilgrims and stuff, there was, um, I think it was in Mexico or something, uh, they had a, you know, uh, after a landing, and it was pretty common once you when you landed and you had a Thanksgiving, and then, you know, to celebrate a harvest, you had a Thanksgiving. It was just something people did. Well, tell me if you think the pilgrims had what I have every year for Thanksgiving. Ready? I'll throw it past you. Tell me if you think it's possible they had what I had. Panda Express, do you think they have that on the, on the early Thanksgiving? No, probably. Probably <laughs> not, uh, not available. Probably not available in the area. Um, how about this one? This I find very hard to believe, but if you tell me that this is true, David, I'm buying it all the way. Is it possible that the CIA at one point used cats as spies? That can't be right, can it? They actually, it was in the 1960s, and they actually they spent $20 million in five years training these cats, and then they picked one to actually deploy, and they embedded like a transmitter and an antenna in her body, and then they drove the van, um, I think it was, uh, I can't remember the location, but they drove the van out, and then they um, they dropped the cat off to go, and it was supposed to cross the street and then go by these um, this park bench where they were known, this is where, like, the Soviets would, you know, Soviet spies were known to occasionally sit yeah. on this bench and discuss. So they let the cat out, and it was trying to cross the street, and then it got hit by a taxi cab and died. <laughs> and then the, uh, the program was officially canceled. But after $20 million in five years of... Money well spent. Yeah. <laughs> was it kind of like, did you ever see when they used to do Laser Cats on Saturday Night Live with An- uh, Andy Samberg? Was it kind of like that, or was it different? <laughs> no, yeah. Yeah, it was basically they had a little mic that they embedded in the in the cat's ear, ear canal, and then they embedded the transmit, transitor, transmitter, I think it was around her neck, 
and then the antenna was actually embedded under her skin all the way the length of her body through her tail and everything. So, wow. And the cat, they basically trained the cat to go where they want it to go, and that's obviously hard to do because cats don't like to No, they don't do that, like so. to do that. But think about how history would have been changed if that very first mission had been pulled off properly. I think the, the entire CIA would have been cats today, don't you? Yeah, that certainly would have made, like, the LOL cat. There could be some more interesting things. (laughs) David Petraeus would probably still be working somewhere had this not have gone awry back then. This is a terrible outcome. Uh, What about this one? Because the holiday season is coming up so close, we all know about mistletoe, and you can hang it up, and if you're underneath it, you kiss somebody. And it's such a Christmassy-sounding word, that mistletoe. What does that mean exactly? It actually means, quite literally, it means dung twig or, you know, the sort of a parasitic poop twig. Uh, and it actually comes from, um, there was a word, the word, well, they basically observed that mistletoe usually sprouts from um, from bird poop that landed on trees, and they didn't really know why this was the case, but, of course, it was because of the seeds passing through the birds and then gets on the trees, and then it's sort of a, uh, some varieties are either a full parasite or partially parasitic, and then they, you know, use the tree's resources. Um, but, yeah, the word mistle, so they gave it the name, like, mistle, which means just dung or poop or whatever sure. um, from a, observing it was on the trees from bird poop. And then the toe came from the Anglo-Saxon word tan, which just means twig. So it's, just, you know, dung twig. Well, you could certainly understand knowing what we now know, Dave, and this is why people would want to just park themselves underneath it and kiss each other, correct? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but the, well, the mistletoe is actually, it was pretty, um, there's tons of cultures that consider, you know, highly valued it for various reasons. There was just, you know, like the Greeks, ancient Greeks thought it was an aphrodisiac and would help in fertility. And the ancient Babylonians used to hang it up for, um, like, at the temple of their goddess of love. They would hang it there to help, you know. So it was involved in, like, love stuff before. And then, um, like, the Norsemen would use it. They thought it was like um, if you would meet, if two enemies would meet underneath it, it would they would sort of like a peace twig or whatever. Mm-hmm. And so they would have to, you know, stop fighting for a little while and stuff like that. And this sort of, in Europe, eventually evolved into um, just um, sort of this, this idea of peace and luck. Would You would hang it from your house at the New Year um, and just leave it up all year long, and then the New Year you'd put up a new one um, to, you know, just make it, you know, as a luck charm, basically. I had no idea. The, yeah, and then around the 18th century, it actually switched to actually they would make these balls of, mistletoe with and then you would meet underneath and then you would get a kiss or whatever and then you'd pluck a berry off and then when it was out of berries then you weren't you know no more kisses but up until that point it was just sort of like a luck peace you know love thing that's amazing again none of i didn't i didn't know any of that that's fantastic what about this is this possible every one of these as i as i'm asking you i say to myself i'm sure that this can't be right is it possible (laughs) that at one point our country the united states had a plan to blow up the moon that can't be right not specifically to blow it up, but to certainly shoot nuclear weapons at it. Uh, so they were, but they were basically the U.S. was everyone considered them behind in the space race at the time, and something they knew they could do was to shoot a nuclear weapon at the moon, and they knew they could do it with pretty good accuracy, and it wouldn't be that hard with the technologies available. So it was a it was called Project A one one nine, or also a study of lunar research flights. Um, and basically, and Carl Sagan was actually you know famed astronomer Carl Sagan was actually involved in this. Um, it was his job to look and see how the cloud might, you know, form and shape to make sure it would be visible from Earth, because that was, like, the whole point is to show we can do this and to try to, like, bolster the perception of the U.S.'s progress in the space race. So, um, yeah, they were trying to shoot a nuclear weapon at the moon. They wanted it to hit right between, you know, right on the light edge, like right where it 
um, so that when it exploded, the sun's rays would hit it and it would be very visible from Earth so everyone could look up and see. But uh, then they decided to scrap the plan because it was after a lot of meetings and planning and stuff, they decided that people probably wouldn't react too well to it. So, I w- Well, wouldn't that have messed up things like the tide? and all? There, There's so many things that could have been messed up had this gone wrong, right? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I doubt it unless they shot. I don't know because it, 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 the moon's pretty big. So it would take quite, a, quite an explosion. But um, Carl Sagan actually thought it would be a great for research, not just is a publicity stunt, which which is what they were kind of planning it for. He thought because then you could they they could examine the cloud more closely and look for like organic material and stuff like that. So there was there was some scientific merit to it, but you know they the plan got scrapped anyway. And David, did they run this past the cat that was running the CIA at the time to find out what he thought about this? Because that's crazy. Yeah. You don't want to harm the moon. The moon's our friend. Uh, stick around. We've got David Hiskey, uh, the founder of TodayIFoundOut.com. He knows all kinds of things about all kinds of things. We'll continue our discussion in just a minute. It's WGN. My guest is David Hiskey. David told me a little while ago that everything I read on the Internet isn't true. Um, my, my feelings are a little bit hurt. However, at his website, todayifoundout.com, everything is true. He has found out all kinds of great things, uh, the backstories about your favorite things in the world, and he tells them to you right there on that website, todayifoundout.com. What about this one? This is from the world of food. Again, I find every one of these hard to believe, David, but if you tell me I believe it, carrots have always been orange, right? Is that correct or incorrect? No, they actually, that was, uh, it switched in the 17th century. They used to pretty much always be purple, and there were, there were like mutant strains that would occasionally pop up that would be like white or um, and different colors like that, but they, they weren't really cultivated. It was just the purple carrot was the one people used. Um, and then in the 17th century, the Dutch actually, um, well, actually in the late 16th century, and then it got popularized in the 17th century, uh, the Dutch started um, cultivating an orange carrot, which was a lot more, um, you know, juicy and stuff like that than the, the standard purple carrot. And they would, they kind of combined some of these mutant strains they picked up, like the white carrot and stuff like that, and there were yellow carrots, um, mutant strains that most people didn't cultivate. Um, and then they kind of combined them, mix and match with some wild, different wild carrots, and eventually it came up, you know, got the orange carrot, which was, you know, quite a bit more fleshy and more juicy, and it, it tasted sweeter. Um, so it grew in popularity pretty fast. See, that's too bad, because I don't think that we have enough purple foods. I would like to have more purple foods. I would I, eat purple carrots, wouldn't you? Yeah, I think you can actually still get them, but they're just not really, you don't really see them in the grocery store or something. You, I mean, you can still see them at sometimes farmer's markets, or you can buy the seeds for them, but yeah, they're not too common. People would be afraid, I would think, if they saw a purple carrot now, they'd think something went horribly wrong. Yeah, we wouldn't really recognize it as a carrot, necessarily. Mm-mm. Now, what about this one? One of my favorite things to play with is bubble wrap. I know you're supposed to use it to wrap things and send things, but I like to just buy a sheet of it and stand on it and pop it. What was the original mm-hmm. intention for bubble wrap? Well, they actually, um, yeah, they originally wanted to use it as wallpaper, as like a textured wallpaper. That's why they originally invented it on the guys in 1957. Uh, they invented it. They it's sort of a garage project. They put two uh, shower curtains together um, and you know pressed it such that it would you know trap air bubbles, and then it would make a nice textured wallpaper. Was their idea, and then that, obviously that, as you might not, you might imagine that didn't sell too well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so then, um, then their second idea was because they still wanted to make it a viable company was to use it for greenhouse roof, you know, for insulation, let light through. But that didn't sell very well either. And then finally, it was 1959, two years after they first created the bubble wrap, that IBM released, um, what was it, the 1401 computer? Mm-hmm. Um, 
and they, they got the idea that they could use it in shipping to protect the 1401 computer. So they pitched the idea to IBM to use this uh, in shipping, um, you know, to protect the computer. And then uh, IBM went with it and started using it for a lot of their products and sort of expanded from there. And since we're talking about wallpaper, there's something that most of us had as a kid that was used as a wallpaper cleaner. And again, I find this shocking. Explain what what, what did we all have as a kid that was used initially or they wanted it to use, be used as a wallpaper cleaner? Yeah, that was Play-Doh. Play-Doh. Yeah, it was made by, there was this company, the Tootol uh, Company. Uh, they were a soap company, and they were kind of going out of business in the 1920s. And then um, as a sort of a last-ditch effort to save themselves, Kroger Grocery asked them, they said, hey, you guys, they were in a meeting, and they said, do you guys make wallpaper cleaner? And Kutol didn't make wallpaper paper cleaner, but they they said they did because they wanted to order. <laughs> and so, uh, and so uh, Kroger um, bought 15,000 cases of wallpaper cleaner, and so then Kutol went back, and they looked into how to even make wallpaper cleaner, and they found a pretty common recipe that people used. It was had been around for a couple decades, and they put it together and started selling it. Um, and then later, of course, when uh, coal fireplaces went out in favor of like oil and gas to heat your house the wallpaper cleaner wasn't really needed so much so the business was again sort of going under a little bit um and then the uh, sister-in-law Kay zufall of um one of the uh, one of the head people at kutol um actually also ran a nursery and so she knew the company was going under and she was had this christmas she wanted to make ornaments with her kids at her nursery school um, and she had read that you could make it with the uh, with the wallpaper cleaner. So she tried out the Kutol brand one to see if it would work. And then when it worked and the kids had a lot of fun with it, she contacted you know her brother-in-law and said, hey, you guys should switch it and start selling it as a as a toy. Um, and so they 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 loved the idea and they started. Um, so they basically took out the detergent, added some coloring and the almond scent, and started selling it. So they <laughs> worked out and. She actually came up with a name, too, because originally they were going to call it Kutol's Rainbow Modeling Compound. No, that's not as good. And, no, and then so they, she, she didn't like it, neither did her husband, so they started talking about it, and then she finally came up with Play-Doh and then called her brother-in-law and suggested that, and they went with that. I just I love anybody who goes, I don't know what we can give the kids to play with, but I do have some wallpaper cleaner. Let's just see how they yeah. enjoy this. Yeah, and it worked out. And so, yeah. <laughs> All right, speaking of kids, how is this one possible? Is it true that at some point in history, Babe Ruth, the great Babe Ruth, was struck out by a 17-year-old girl? That can't be right. Yeah, it was actually in the in the beginning of you know when baseball was gaining popularity and you know as a professional sport and stuff. There was actually quite a lot of women who played played the sport. Just you know, and even some some professionally, there were some pretty famous examples and. This one, she wasn't like really famous example because she got banned from baseball because of what she did. But she played for the Double A uh, New York Yankees Double A club. Um, just one game, she got signed because um, uh, the owner of the, the Lookouts was the club she played for. Um, saw her at a baseball academy and saw her strike out nine batters in a row. So they um, signed her for to play for Double A for the Yankees. And there was a big hoopla as whether she'd make the major leagues or whatever because that's pretty close um, being played in Double A. And so in one of the little exhibition games they played, her her only game she got to play in was um, Babe Ruth, and uh, she got called in to face Babe Ruth and Lou Gehrig because she was a lefty with an extreme sidearm delivery, mm-hmm. which makes her just murder on lefties. They can't hit her because um, it just... The ball know, moves in on them. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, and she pitched to Ruth, and the first first pitch was a ball. The next two were um, swinging strikes. He swung at both of them, missed, and the third one was a called strike. And then uh, Lou Gehrig, she did even better. Um, she threw three straight pitches to him, and he swung and missed at all three. 
Um, then she walked the next batter and then um, got pulled from the game. And then uh, the commissioner of baseball, uh, Kennesaw Mountain Landis, then he um, banned her from baseball. Why wouldn't yeah, you? If you see somebody with that kind of talent and ability, what else would you do but ban them from baseball? That's the way to do it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, uh, yeah, he's, his, his excuse, what he said, was that women were too fragile to play the game. So. <laughs> Truer words have never been spoken. Uh, that is David Hiskey. He is the founder. He is the president. He's the brains behind a great, great website, todayifoundout.com. It's spelled just like it sounds, todayifoundout.com. Go there and find out all kinds of interesting things. And as David has told you, they're all true, so you can't top that. David, thanks so much. Let's do this again sometime. Yeah, thank you. This was a lot of fun. Go get some sleep. Everybody else, stay where you are. We've got a lot more coming up. It's WGN.